sounded good today. Tell your neighbor, you are in good voice today. And if you're online, I hope you're singing along um, and enjoyed that time of worship as well. Amen. Amen. Um, in in preparing a little bit yesterday for this time, I, I wonder just how to introduce where we want to go. And I just started to think about where we live, the climate we live. And how many of you recognize, it's a sort of a silly question, but we live in worrisome times. I think that's a fair statement. We, we live in worrisome times. We, we've been dealing, what, two plus years with a, a pandemic that's, that's affected the, the whole globe. And it's been, for different people, it's been different things. Wide range of, of how it's affected our lives. Everything from just a, a nuisance all the way to people lost loved ones in hospitals who died alone because of the epidemic and they couldn't get to them. And everything in between we've been affected by. We, we've been hearing reports just lately. It's, it's almost, you have to get prayed up before you listen to the news these days. Because, because you hear words and, and reports continually, one after another, about, about war and about genocide and about nuclear threat and about inflation and about um, poverty and about border security, about globalism, socialism, nationalism, all these different things we're bombarded with each and every day. And we're supposed to have some kind of an opinion and, and know what's right and wrong in all of these things. And I'm, I'm, I've lived long enough to recognize, and I believe this statement, you may have your own opinion, but I believe this, that America, for the last number of decades, has been digressing spiritually. We live in a society that has been digressing. I've lived long enough to remember um, the 60s. I was a teenager in the, in the 60s. Um, when we decided as a people, there wasn't a vote, there wasn't a meeting, but it seems to mentality and, and agreement of the nation was that in the 60s, we're, suddenly authority was bad and that there should be no restraints on us in any kind of physical expression. And things began to unfold from there. And, and you could track it. I, I think there's some real obvious mild markers along the way that has brought us all the way up to where we are today. We took prayer out of the schools, we took the Ten Commandments off of our public walls, we, we did away with the sanctity of life, we, we did away with the definition, God's definition of marriage, we took away the biblical understanding and construct of, of the family unit, the nuclear family, and we, we can fast forward up to more current events, and it's, it's no wonder that one of the hot topics today is, is gender identity that that's emerging to the surface. See, we've moved so far from God that we're forgetting who we even are as people. We're beginning to lose our way. We're beginning to lose the very core of who and what God created us to be. I don't know if you agree with all that or not, but I think I'm right. I believe that many of the things we've experienced haven't just become of natural world events. I think because we have moved and distance ourselves from God himself. 
How many would agree today that we could use a word from the Lord? We could use a word from the Lord. Let me make a segue. Pastor Jeremy was talking about smooth segues. So did the church around 95 B.C. I'm sorry, A.D. Around 95 A.D., the church would have said as strong or a stronger amen than what you just did. Now, they weren't dealing with viruses. They weren't dealing with national, international upheaval. They weren't dealing with social decay. They weren't dealing with the issues specific to us and some that we just mentioned. They were in a different situation. They were trying to just stay alive. They were, they were just trying to not be caught. It was a time when they were living in a, in a, in a situation where, you know, sometimes when you, you know, they say you're paranoid, you feel like everyone's out to get you. It wasn't a feeling. It was a fact. Everyone was, in fact, out to get them. From the government on down, it was hunting season for Christians. It was open season for Christians, and tremendous things were happening to them by way of persecution. They, they couldn't live safely in their homes. They, they had to scatter. They had to hide. They had to, every day wondered what was going to happen this day. They had friends or family members who perhaps had already been arrested, imprisoned, or even and killed and executed, used for sport. This was the world they lived in. This was the experience they were having as the people of God. I want you today to put yourself, in, in setting up to read our text, I, I want you to put yourself in their place. Use your greatest imagination. You're in that situation of desperation. And you hear that there's a letter that's come. And it's come from John the Apostle. The last living apostle has written an important message to the church. You know that John himself is in exile. He's, he's on the Isle of Patmos. So as I read our text today, and if you want to turn to Revelation 21, whether you open your Bibles or turn it on, go to Revelation 21. I want you to hear the text with their ears, from their vantage point. I want you to think about the fact that John, when he penned this, he wasn't writing to us. In fact, when you read the Bible, those authors, all the 40 different authors, 40 plus, they weren't writing to us. They were writing to a very specific audience that was in mind as they penned the words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. None of the Bible, in fact, was written to us, but all of the Bible was written for us. All of it was written for us. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 that all these things happen to them as an example and instruction for us. So before we consider what our passage means to us today, I want us to try to feel what maybe it meant to them. A, a little hint as you do Bible study, and this is true not just of the book of Revelation, it's true of studying the Word of God. It's so important to read it in context because we can never make the Word of God say something or mean something to us that it didn't mean to them, that it didn't say to them. We have to start there. Different culture, different context. We have to understand that because the authors are writing to them. So we have to put ourselves there and understand 
before we pull out our, what it means for us. What did it mean to them? Okay? That was just a side little benefit you get for today. The book of Revelation, yes, it's apocalyptic. We, we know that. It's the unveiling of end times. First chapter, first verse tells us that, that it was, it was written to, to his servants. It's written to reveal to his servants the things that must soon take place. It's filled with mystery and wonderment. And, and a lot of Christians avoid the book of Revelation because it just seems too overwhelming, just too confusing, too, too symbolic, and, and, and too different. Um, but, but it was more and is more than Christian sci-fi. The book of Revelation is more than what we've perhaps made it to do. It's written to suffering believers. And they weren't listening. As that letter was read, they weren't listening to end, an end-time calendar events. They, they were, they, see, because as far as they were concerned, this was the end times. It wasn't getting any better than this. So they were hearing with different ears. When we open the book of Revelation, start reading, we go into it predisposed, thinking that we're just going to be reading about things that are going to happen in 100 years, 200 years, 500 years, and we're going to come up with our little eschatology, and we're going to figure out what happens when and who and where and what the different symbols mean. And, all. and we lay it all out, and we feel so proud of ourselves. It's not what they did when they heard the letter. It's not what they did. Their ears were desperate to hear something of hope, some ray of light. Now, with those ears... Knowing that you may not live the next hour, literally, listen with those ears. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They'll be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write it down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Now listen, of course, as they were listening, they heard more than they could understand. But above it all, above any questions that they may have had as they listened to it, above it all, first, it was then and should be for us today, a present day help in time of need. It was a present day help from the heart of God to God's people, besides the prophetic mystery that John recorded, it also reveals first to them the great love of God, the great power and majesty of God, the justice of God. They heard with those ears the lengths that their God will go to to keep his people, to protect his people, the eternal strength and protection that he promises. They, they heard more than what we hear foundationally and as a springboard from there i want to move into our series starting today on newness say newness we're going to talk about newness the next few weeks 
The, the truth is that only God can make things new. Only God. From the throne, John records what he heard. Behold, I'm making all things new. You know, the benefit of your salvation isn't simply forgiveness of sin. And it isn't even the promise of heaven after we die. But along with your salvation comes a new kind of life. Now, here, in this place, a different quality of life, a state of being, if you would. Not only a new life, but a life of newness. A type of living that we're to experience, should be experiencing, day by day, regardless of what's happening around us. You know, I remember I was probably eight or nine. The, and you, if you've had this experience, some of you probably had. The first time I put on eyeglasses. I can remember it to this moment. It impacted me. Because, you know, when you're grown, you don't know that your vision's not like everyone else's vision. You don't know that it's getting bad. And I remember the first time I put that on and saw crisp lines and saw clarity and realized how much blurriness I had been living with. Suddenly, everything in life looked brand new to me. Color, texture, people. Everything looked different. It's sort of what we're talking about. This newness that God wants to bring to us is a, is an, a view of life. It's how we see all the stuff around us. Even knowing all the stuff around us isn't always great or something we want to see. Even in that, there's a newness that we can experience. There's, there's a freshness. When the Bible uses that word new, that, that's what it means. It means freshness or current or unprecedented. It means superior. See, it, it's not new in fact that it's, by the fact that it's, it's different. It's new because it's better. Not just different, but better. I, I think we need some newness today as people, certainly as a nation. So, Father, here we are, opening your word. Speak through us to, to us through it. Speak clearly. Encourage our hearts. Let us hear what you have to say. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You know, there's something about new that attracts us. Does anybody not like new? You know, if someone said, well, here, money's no object. You can go out and you can buy a nice car or you buy a new car. There's something new. You know, it, it's exciting. We anticipate it. It, it makes us feel good. It, it, we, we like new things. I, I like new things. I prefer new things. Um, and if you were to be honest, I bet you have a list right now. You have a list right now of things that you would go out and, and get. There's new things that are on your list that you're just waiting to be able to hopefully check off at some point in time. There's something that attracts us. There's also something about new that drives us, motivates us. It, 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 it's what dreams are made of. We, we plan for new things. We anticipate new things. We save up for new things. We sacrifice and work extra in order to have or get new things. 
I, I don't think that, I don't, I'm not pr- promoting this or endorsing this as a, as a, a uh, practice of good parenting, but if we're to be honest, and I'll put myself maybe at the front of the line, that sometimes the only way to get a kid to do something is promise them something new. <laughs> it's a great motivator. It's a, kids will do just about anything if you promise them that new thing, even if they don't know what the new thing is. We, we just have this motivation about new things. History is filled with explorers and inventors and um, um, scientists who, who were driven by wanting to find something new. Took years and years of their life, took all of their savings, took ridicule and pressure from many things in life they didn't do or go after or accomplish because this, this drive for something new, this quest for something new. And it makes me wonder, where's that come from? When I got to this point in my, thought, in my study, that's the question that came up. Where's that come from? Where's this whole new thing even, why do we, why do we have that? Where, where, where is its origin? And, and so I'm, I want to give you a couple points today to hopefully answer that question and put our typical concept of new in a different light. Because God is the source of new. In his purest sense, God's the source and the only source of new. Let, let me ask you a question. It may sound odd, but think about it. When is God? When in time is God? It, it's a hard question, but not a hard question. There's a, there's a theological term I'll throw out that's the answer. God is, one of his attributes is what? Omnipresent. When is God? God is omnipresent. Which simply means God is everywhere all the time. We've heard that said, and we can, a, lot of, a lot of us can just say that. What's omnipresent? Well, God's everywhere all the time. And it rolls off. Stop and think about what that means. Stop and think of the, the, death, the depth of, of that statement. God is just like he's omnipotent, that he has all power all of the time, that he's omniscient, that he knows everything. All that God, you can't add anything to God. God can't learn anything because he's omniscient. He's omnipresent. Proverbs says the eyes of the Lord are in every place. Jeremiah 23 says the Lord fills the heaven and the earth. 139 of Psalms, David asks, where can I flee from your presence? And he lifts wherever he goes. God is there. That God is ever present. Why is that important for our discussion today? Simply this. When we read scripture like our text, we are predisposed to read them from a position of time. We read them in the context of time because that's where we live. That's what we know. That's what we understand. We know about minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years and decades. We, we know time. And so when we read the text, God says that he's going to make all things. Remember, Revelations is a forward prophecy. He says, I, I will make, I'm making all things new. We read that as ahead of us. We read that as God is, will be who God is or what, who and what God will be in the future is something that we have to know and catch up with and, and be willing to accept what he will do in the future. 
We, we read it that way as time-based. And that's not wrong, but it's not right. Because God doesn't live in time. Omnipresent. God doesn't live in time. God created time. He didn't create time and then put himself in it. Now time is greater than God. If you want an accurate definition, time lives in God. Because God is omnipresent. Because he's eternal. So when we read scripture like this, we have to factor that in. We have to bring that into our thinking, into our conversation. We know that God's immutable. Right? He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. How could that be? How could God be the, never change? Every being changes. We, we change. We have to change. God never changes. Well, the answer to the question of why he never changes and can't ever change is because he's omnipotent. He's present. He, he's present yesterday, today, and forever. All at the same time. I hope you're getting a headache about now. All at the same time. God is in yesterday, today, and forever. All at the same time. The theologians call that the eternal now. God lives in the eternal now. It's the best we can come up with to talk about the, the, the dimension in which God exists. Yes, he works in time, but he doesn't live in time. He's not limited by time. He, he knows the beginning, the, the, the end from the beginning, but both of those are time words, which means they don't really exist in his dimension. That's why he knows both at the same time, because he's there. He's there. We, we read about eras and, and periods of time, and they're behind us, they're here, they're ahead of us. God's in all of it now. <laughs> you okay? Breathe, breathe. It's all right. Why is that important? Because when we read about the God in Revelation who says, I am making all things new, that's an eternal now statement. It's not something he's going to do because it was written in this prophetic book. If he's going to do it, remember, he's omnipresent. Whatever he is going to be, he is now. Whatever he's like then, he's like now. Because there's no then in God. God's not waiting to be, and he's not becoming something. He's always who he is. He's always what he is. God is always now. And here's the catch to our theme. Now is always new. Now has to be new. We're in time, right? There's a minute ahead of us. And when you get there, it's new. Because you've never been there before. Right? Oops, there it went. Bye. Now we lost it. Now it's old. <laughs> it's always new. Now is always new. And God lives there. God dwells there. It means now he's making all things new because now is all he has. Now he's making all things new in you. I got an amen card. I'm going to talk over here. <laughs> Take my notes and go there. 
That's good news. That, that's great news. And it gets better. Because God is now and, and is the source of new. And if we study Scripture, and I know you have, you were created for new. You were created to know and live in newness. Go, just go back to creation. The Bible says that God created us how? In his, in his image. All right, now if part of his image is this newness, that means it was designed into us. It was created into us. It's in our DNA as, as um, creator, creations of God. Adam and Eve walked in newness of life. We can't fully grasp it. Okay, I, I sometimes do that. I try and, what was their life like before sin? They walked in complete newness of life because they were shining and glittering with, in, in, the, in fashioned in the image of God, just like him. The sense of newness. I, I imagine what it might be like that every day was filled with new, every day was fresh. Every day was unprecedented. Every day wasn't like the day before. Even if it was like the day before, it was new to them. It was fresh to them. It was better than the day before. Life kept getting better and better. The beauty of creation never became common to them. Do you ever see something in nature and the first time it like takes your breath away, but then you see it regularly and it's like, oh, that's nice. Where'd the newness go? See, tending the garden never became routine or normal for them. The fruit of the garden, when they tasted the fruit of a tree, that first time it was just as delicious and succulent the first time as it was the 500th time before sin. This newness, they lived in newness of life. The delight, the joy, the wonder, the satisfaction of their walking with God daily never got normal. It was never common to them. It never grew old. All they knew was newness of life. Their normal was newness. What a way to live. What a way to live. And that God designed that into us. God created that into us. Because that's always been his plan. That's always been his desire for us. Even after sin corrupted our soul, God remained the God who makes all things new. He remains the God who wants you and has made a way for you to live daily in newness of life. It's possible. And he keeps telling us over and over. We go through the Old Testament. Ezekiel said, he said through Ezekiel, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. Through Jeremiah, he says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. We heard it this morning already. His mercies never come to an end. And they're new every morning. Isaiah tells us that they who wait on the Lord shall renew. There's a new strength comes to you each and every day as you wait on the Lord. David wrote a psalm where he said he was down in a horrible pit. His feet were stuck, and God lifted him up and out and put a new song in his mouth. Song of praise. And then we find when we were incapable of keeping the old covenant, God writes a new one. And he signs it with the blood of his son. But he continues to be the same God 
who makes all things new. Therefore, if any man's in Christ, he's what? New creation. Old things pass away. All things become new again. Romans 12 says, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Romans 7 says that now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. You see it? God has given us a whole new way to live. In Ephesians, he tells us that we're to put on the new self, created in his, back into his likeness, created in his image, true righteousness and holiness. Newness is a trademark of the people of God. Newness is a trademark of the kingdom of God. You have an attraction for new things. You have a desire for new things by design. We're drawn to newness by design. It's, it's in us. You can't help yourself. Now the problem, of course, we know is that sin happened and changed our understanding and, and perverted our desire about newness. It, it, that that newness um, n- no longer, because of sin, was a quality of life. It, it in- somehow became this quantity in life to pursue, something to possess. So we give our lives chasing new things, new reputations, new opportunities, new experiences, new achievements, nothing wrong with those things, except they fade. They fade. And if you're trying to find newness, if you're trying to live a life of newness, you're going to have a very, very hard time. There's a moment in my history, I think I've told you this story before, where I decided, I saw someone use a router, I thought it was the best thing since whatever. And I had to have a router, had to, driven by it. Found a router, bought it, used it once, sat on my shelf for 20 years. <laughs> One new anymore. Been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. Let me go on to something else. Newness changed because of sin. We, we can look at King Solomon. We know his writings. He says that he tried, literally he tried everything under the sun. He writes, everything under the sun. You name it, he tried it. And, and he went whole hog. He withheld nothing back from himself. And what's his conclusion? It's all vain. It all fades. None of it lasts. It felt good for a moment, and then not so much anymore. You know, you've experienced that in smaller levels in your own life. Remember that thing you had to have? And you finally bought it, and a year or two years later, it was in your yard sale. Because sin damaged our understanding of what newness really is, and our ability to live and walk in the newness of life that God designed for us in the beginning. Things in this life, new things of this life, will never bring satisfaction the newness of his world, of his life, is something you can walk in each and every day, regardless of what your circumstance is. 
regardless of what's happening around you. You can walk. That's the good news of today's message. You can walk in newness of, of life. You can live each and every day in the newness of life that God designed and desires for you. It's his character to make all things new. We desire newness. And God desires it for us. And he desires it for us now. Because that's where God lives. We don't have to wait for newness to come. God's not going to be. He is now. He's, he's not going to make things new for you at some day out there. God's making all things new in your life now, if we'll let him. If we'll let him. So here's, here's the final thing. We're time. Okay, I got five minutes. Um, this is the practical part of the, of the, of the message. How do, you, how do we get there? Okay, we understand what newness is. We understand that God's a God of newness. We understand that we're created to live in newness. We, we, how do we get there? Just some real practical things. I have seven of them. I'm not going to be able to give you seven. I'll give you a few of them. Um, first of all, basic, elementary. It's amazing how sometimes things can be so basic, but we miss them. By walking with Jesus every day. By walking with Jesus every day. Duh. We know it, but do we always do it? Do we include him in, in, in every day? In, do we acknowledge him in all our ways? That's a, that's a big order that we have to shoot for. Hebrews says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by, get this, the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that's through his flesh. See, through his cross, through his sacrifice, through his resurrection, Jesus created for us a new and living way. Sin killed it back in the garden. But now through Jesus, there's this new and living way of doing life. There's this new and living way of, of moving and operating in life. There's this fresh and, and living, alive, active kind of life that, that we can uh, tap into, that we can lay hold of. There's a, a relationship that we can have with the living God. That, that will, will manifest itself in our lives, through our lives, in an in, in, in animated walk with him, if I can use that word. We can walk with God, should be walking with him, in an animated way. That means full of life, excited, enthusiastically, anticipatory of good things. Can I tell you something? Boredom. Oh, it bothers me when I hear kids say, I'm so bored. Boredom is simply a lack of newness. Really. Dissatisfaction is a lack of newness. Discouragement is a lack of newness. Okay, I'll let you think about that. Just put it in your notes. You can come back to it later. Okay? A new and living way. What's that way look like? Well, how about living every day with a sureness that you're accepted by God the Father? Fully accepted right now. But I just messed up. That's right. Fully accepted. But, but I had, I really, you know, just destroyed that person verbally and I shouldn't have done it. And it, it now I feel so bad. Fully accepted by God right now. You, you can live a lifestyle of celebration and worship of the Son of God. 
that Jesus every day is, is out in front and you're celebrating who he is, what he's done in your life, and you're offering your life as a worship offering to him. You know that your steps are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God who lives in you. You live this type of life, newness of life, as an awareness of the Spirit of God who dwells in us, directing and guiding and leading and, and moving and changing and transforming and making us more and more back into the image in which we were originally created and designed. That's newness. Secondly, newness comes from deadness. Newness comes from deadness. Listen, what's the one thing Jesus had to do for redemption to be com to complete? He had to resurrect. The one thing he had to do in order for redemption to be completed was he had to resurrect. He had to rise up from the dead, which means what? He had to die. He had to die. Now, there's a little difference between the kind of death he died and the kind of death we die. He was the first fruit. He had to die for sin so that we could die to sin, so that we could be res rescued from dying in sin. Shall I say it again? He died for sin so that we can die to sin and we could be rescued then from dying in sin. That simple little sacrament of the church that we call water baptism, it's all there. It's all there. That Jesus died and through the waters of baptism, we identify with his, with his death. We recognize our sin. We recognize the destructive penalty of sin. We recognize that, that um, sin dominates our life if, if we don't allow God to intervene and receive his salvation. And so we, we identify with his burial. But we also identify with his resurrection. Because at least the way we do water baptism around here, you don't leave the person under the water. No bubbles. That's the rule. You know, some people you may feel like you need to hold down a little longer. But no bubbles. Everybody comes back. But see, the testimony is there. I'm dying to sin, and I'm alive to Jesus Christ. I have this new life. I have this, there's this newness of life that's available to me through the person of Jesus Christ if I'll follow after him, if my heart will be, be saturated in who he is. It, it, I wonder if that's not what Paul meant when he said, I'm crucified with Christ. I'm dead with Christ, but I'm alive. But I recognize the life I live now is this new and living way of living. It's this different way of living. I live by faith in the Son of God. I walk in this newness of life each and every day. Even though hard things are happening around me. Even though things just took, took a turn where I hate it. I, I don't know what to do about it. I'm tempted to fear, but I'm not going to. I'm going to stand in the newness of life that God has given to me through Jesus. I'm going to stand there, and I'm, I'm going to live a resurrected life. See, we live dead to sin. We live alive to the Christ who's in us, the Spirit of God who's in us. That's newness. That's newness. Number three, the enemy of newness. This is the last one I'll give you. 
The enemy of newness is sameness. You thought I was going to say oldness. The enemy of newness is not oldness, it's sameness. Listen, God doesn't care about the age of the song you sing. We, we make a big fuss about it. God doesn't care about the age of the songs you sing, whether it's hymns or integrity music of the, of the 80s and 90s, whether it's Maverick City today. God doesn't really care. That, that's not his concern. That's not how he hears your song. He doesn't care if it's on vinyl or if it's a cassette or a CD or if it's Spotify. It doesn't matter to him. What does concern him? Is it fresh in your heart as you sing it? It may feel good to you, but if you're singing that song, whatever song it is, you've been singing it for 10 years, and it's the same in you now as it was 10 years ago, it ain't fresh, and God's not impressed. Is it new in you? Does it bring life to you? Is it newness? Sameness is the enemy. See, what's new about it? The, the Bible says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I talked like a child. Duh. Right? That's one of those duh kind of statements. Like, okay, yeah, of course. But if you're 25, if you're 35, 45, 55, if you're 95, sorry, Dad. That's going to be 95 in just a couple months. <laughs> no matter what your age, you're still thinking and talking. But if you're still thinking and talking the same way that you were thinking and talking as a child, something's wrong. See, newness can never be sameness. Newness in the kingdom of God's like manna. If it's the same as yesterday, it doesn't smell so good. It's not, it's not made to have a long shelf life. Newness is fresh every morning. Manna was fresh every day. It was life-giving every day, but it lost all of its flavor the next day. God's looking for freshness out of you. He's looking for freshness out of me. That's newness of life. That God, when I come into your presence, I want to bring you a fresh offering. Remember in Israel, God complained because they were bringing him old offerings, stale offerings, unworthy offerings. And sometimes we bring to God what feels good to us instead of what feels good to him. I'll let you sit on that. If you're taking notes, I know a lot of you do. Let me just give you the headings of the, of the remaining part, And then you can go make them up on your own. And this is not an exhaustive list of, of how do we get there to, new, to a life of newness. Um, the fourth one, make trouble work for you. Make hard times work for you. There's a lot of scripture on how that can happen. Um, the next one, your thoughts matter. Your thoughts matter. When it comes to this thing of newness, how you think in situations in life is important. Next one, be thankful. Be thankful. Thankfulness isn't th natural to us, but it's powerful. When, when we live lives of thanksgiving, that's newness. And then the last one, number seven, is choose life or choose newness. For that, you can go back to 1 Kings 18, talking about Elijah on Mount Carmel. 1 
where he says, choose how you're going to live. Choose how you're going to live. Listen, why don't you stand with me? I'm just going to close our time in prayer. But I'm going to give you 30 seconds. And I want you to just make it time with you in the, in the Spirit of God. I want you to just take a moment and, and think about your life right now. Your situation right now. Maybe nothing big going on. Maybe desperate things going on. Doesn't, maybe a great time in your life right now. But ask the Lord to show you some area of your life or maybe a couple areas of life where you need newness. You need freshness. You, you need, you need the, the kind of life that God designed into you to come to the surface because you, you feel trapped maybe in, in your circumstance. You feel fearful about your circumstance. You feel uncertain and unsafe in your circumstance. And God is saying to you today that he understands all of that and he's aware of all of it, but you're secure in his hand, in it and through it. And while he's working all things together for your good, you can live and operate with a sense of newness, a sense of freshness, a sense of contentment and satisfaction in the midst of. If we had the time, we can go around this room and there's countless testimonies of that reality of people who have experienced in the worst times in their life that, that fresh breath of God that blows over them and holds them and strengthens them. That's the newness of life that God has for you and has for me. So take... Just a few seconds. And then as, you, as things come into your heart, just give them to the Lord. The Bible says, cast your cares on Him. Let Him care for them. And then I'm going to pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your presence among us. I thank you that you enter into our time. You enter into time and space, and you spend our time with us. Thank you, Lord, that you have a life for each and every one of us that's, in every one of our cases, is more and better and greater than the one we're living right now. Because the path of the just gets brighter and brighter. Because you said that if we'll keep our eyes focused on you, we'll move from glory to glory to glory. So Lord, there's always more ahead of us. There's always newness for today and yet ahead of us. And we want to walk in it. We want to live in it. Lord, Lord, forgive us for the times and help those strengthen all of us to, when we get pulled into the fray of the world around us. We get pulled into the conversation and the thinking and the mentality and the attitudes. Lord, today remind us that there's another level of life that you've created and designed us to live. And I pray that today and as we spend these next few weeks together, that a fresh sense of newness of life would fill every one of our hearts. 
I impart that to my brothers and sisters in the name of Jesus. Let the word of God come alive like never before. Let the presence of God be more realized in their lives daily than ever before. Let the pursuit of you increase and intensify more than any other time in their life. We need today the newness you have for us. So Father, I know you're faithful to release it and give it to those who hunger and thirst after you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this morning. I pray that as we go, your blessing rests on your people. Follow them. Accompany them. Guard and protect and provide as only you can. And let joy be filling their heart in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Praise the Lord. So good to see you today. Take time to say hello to a few folks. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless you.